Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Capital Club Radio. Brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance. Please welcome your host, Chairman and CEO, Michael Flock. Good afternoon. You know, ordinarily on Capital Club Radio, we have entrepreneurs who have never worked in large institutions. Today, we have a, an unusual example of a successful executive with lots of institutional, you know, large banking experience. But he's left that world. He chose not to retire, but to become an entrepreneur. It's an interesting journey with John Coffin. John is founder and president of Practical Growth Advisors, formerly executive vice president and co-founder of Atlantic Capital Bank. Practical Growth Advisors is a consulting and advisory firm that is focused on serving private companies, helping them grow faster with confidence. Prior to Practical Growth Advisors, John was part of the founding of Atlantic Capital Bank, the largest startup bank in U.S. history with an initial capital raise of $125 million. Wow. It opened in May of 2007, and John became executive vice president. The bank grew to $2.9 billion as a publicly traded bank with a market cap of over $450 million. Prior to Atlanta Capital Bank, he spent 10 years at Wachovia Bank in capital markets, commercial, and corporate banking divisions. Before Wachovia, he worked in Manufacturers Hanover's Trust, Chemical Bank, and Chase Manhattan Bank. John earned a BA from Dartmouth, an MBA from Columbia University. Today, he lives in Atlanta with his family. And oh, by the way, he was also an Eagle Scout. That's a big accomplishment, too. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Um, Appreciate that warm introduction. Yeah. And great to be here with you in the studio. Yeah. Uh, and I have to uh, advise our listeners that. Um, I'm going to make a confession that it was actually John Coffin when he was at uh, Atlantic Capital Bank. He had a show called Founders Club, right. I think, and he interviewed me. So I, I am stealing this idea from John. He was a wonderful host and and had uh, plenty of stories and very interesting guests. So thank you for giving me this idea for doing these podcasts. Absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, thanks for having me today. Yeah. and And I think today we've got a real opportunity to hear how, again, uh, a very successful, large institutional executive now becomes an entrepreneur and what he's leveraged and leveraging from those experiences of the past, both personal and professional, and how he's going to help middle market companies today. All right, John, let's go to your resume. Let's get personal for a second. If you look at your resume and background, it's quite traditional, Uh you know, almost a straight line. I mean, Eagle Scout, Phillips Exeter, one of the best prep schools in the United States, Dartmouth, Ivy League, Columbia, Manufacturers Hanover's, Chase, Chemical. Wow. Did you always want to be a banker growing up? I mean, what motivated you? I mean, you have a terrific background in banking. Well, how, how did that happen? Uh, I actually kind of got into banking um, totally by mistake or um – Kismet, I guess. It's, uh, I was an English major in college and uh, really took one accounting class and didn't do particularly well in my economics classes. And so uh, when I was looking for a job, uh, Manny Haney and some of the big banks were the only ones that had a six-month training program where they'd actually teach you how to do something. And so uh, uh-huh. I got a job with them and uh, 
really through that process, that six-month training class, uh, decided I loved business and I loved banking. And so that was really the genesis of a you know, 30-year banking career that uh, spanned large corporations, capital markets, and right. then uh, privately held companies. Okay. So that's interesting. So being an English major – really didn't have any impact then on your future direction or yeah yeah no, no. i mean i knew my, <laughs> my dad was an executive in new york for many years and um, right. I, I always knew i was going to be interested in getting involved in business but didn't really have a uh-huh. particular path until uh, i landed right. at manufacturers hanover and was there anything in, in becoming an eagle scout that had anything to do with this uh, career path or you know i think that um i'd encourage uh Every boy and now girls, because they've combined Boy Scouts into kind of a gender-neutral type of scenario to get involved because um, it's just a fantastic way to be with your friends, to be outdoors. And, um, you know, for me, some of the central tenets of being prepared and uh, Mm -hmm. learning skills and competencies uh, through merit badges and and Boy Scouts – you know, it gives you a lot of confidence. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that was a real blessing to me as a kid. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, I, can, I can canoe and, uh, you know, know how to rappel down buildings, but I can also uh, also learned a lot about life uh, in, in Boy Scouts. Okay. About challenges and overcoming obstacles and pushing yourself further than uh, maybe you think you were capable of. Okay. Uh, that type of thing. Uh-huh. And so along the way in your early years of your career – uh, you know, were there any surprises? Were there any difficult moments um, that you used those lessons from Eagle Scouts? Uh, well, you know, um, in my first 10 years at, uh, at, uh, in New York, I went through two mergers. So I worked for Manufacturers Hanover, Chemical, and Chase and had the same telephone number uh, for eight years at those three banks. Wow. Um, so I got used to, uh, you know, transition, change, um, and with those, with with change, always came opportunity, and so that's something that um, you know I really benefited from in New York. Uh, my wife and I moved down to Atlanta in 1996 to be with Wachovia, and mm-hmm. subsequently went through the first union and mm-hmm. and uh, South Trust mergers here as well. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, I I think uh, banking went through an incredible change over the last uh, twenty year, twenty five to thirty years. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That now other industries are going through mm-hmm. consolidation, rapid change. Um, you know, ha- having to be nimble, and um, you know, those were things that uh, you know through these mergers I really learned along the way and uh, got a lot out of. Well, and, yeah, and it's amazing you were able to keep the same phone number through all those <laughs> mergers because usually not not just your phone number changes, a lot of other things like your job and your role. Did did that change? And was it? Yeah, particularly top? at Wachovia. Um, I had nine different leadership jobs in the 10 years that I was there. I uh, Mm -hmm. came down initially to help them build out their capital markets business and then uh, ran different lines of business, both geographically and Mm -hmm. uh, within the business services and consumer services segment. And and then flipped over around around, uh, 2003 to the local market here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And I really found my passion um, Mm -hmm. because uh, I went from – dealing with larger billion-dollar-plus companies right. into um, more of the local market, working and serving privately held companies. And uh, that's really become, uh, you know, where I've where my passion has been the last nearly 20 years the now. Mi- the middle market. Absolutely. The middle, middle market. market. That's, right. that's your passion. Yeah. How did that happen? I mean, well, how, did, 
I mean, well, why? What's wrong with billion-dollar companies? Well, um, you know, I was I – was a couple of things. Um, one, of the, one of the issues with the merger was um, at the time I was running the corporate and investment banking vertical in the business services group and uh, doing it out of Atlanta. Uh, the executive team came to me and said, uh, you need to move to Charlotte. And mm-hmm. at the time, personally, I was more focused on uh, being here in Atlanta and uh, raising my family here. And so I decided mm-hmm. not to do that. And that's mm-hmm. when I transitioned into the what at the time was called the commercial bank. Um, right. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of one of those things, again, where you just have to be flexible and uh, mm-hmm kind of figure out what your objectives are and then how does it fit in with your career aspirations. For me, I was mm-hmm. betting on the city of Atlanta right. instead of Wachovia Bank. And right. in hindsight, that ended up being a pretty good bet because uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. you know of the turmoil that Wachovia went through becoming in the 09-10 time frame and then having to right. you know, sell to Wells Fargo. So um, Atlanta is, to me, the, the best business city in the country. And uh, wow. so I'm really jazzed up about being here wow. and kind of okay. planting my roots here the, for the last 22 years. A transplanted Yankee. That's right. I, I think I'm actually officially a damn Yankee, which means uh, a Yankee that doesn't go back, you know. So. <laughs> well, that makes two of us. <laughs> yeah, you're, that's I'm right. The same thing. I grew up in Connecticut, and uh, uh, my wife grew up in Atlanta, so we're in Atlanta. That's right. But I am a Braves fan, you know, yeah. I- unless they're playing the New York Yankees. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some things that never change. That's exactly right. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about your first startup, which was really an institutional time. I mean, it was such a large startup. And, and why did you – what motivated you to do that? I mean, because Wachovia was a good bank. You, you were, right. you know, getting promoted frequently. You spent almost 10 years there. Why did you decide to leave and do a banking startup? Yeah, when I, when I approach strategic decisions, um, I really look at the market. And, uh, you know, to me – Atlanta was this incredible market, over 4,000 privately held companies in the 10 to $250 million revenue size range. And at the time, that market was controlled by th- the three big guys, Wachovia, B of A, and SunTrust. And um, myself and uh, the four initial partners really felt like we could do a better job serving that mid-market company with mm-hmm. experienced bankers, um, Great technology and um, fantastic customer service. And we felt like, mm-hmm. not to disparage the competition, but that we could do a better job at that. Because you could focus on that segment, whereas in the larger banks, they focus on the large customers and the middle market gets... That's right. It gets it gets a little bit lost, or, lost yeah. or ignored, um, you know, would be our ex- experience. I always think that uh, with focus comes excellence and, um, you know... That was something that was really important to us. So we narrowed the scope of what what our real focus was going to be. And, um, you know, from uh, the initial uh, opening in May of 07 till, uh, you know, this past year, we grew gr- dramatically to nearly a $3 billion bank mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as with a public market capitalization. And we did a good job on behalf of our original shareholders, which was obviously a key objective. Yeah. Well, so you told me, I think when we first met, you it was when you started Atlantic Capital Bank with your partners, it was just basically you and a couple other guys and a, and a pot of coffee. Yeah, I mean, it so, was... Uh, tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so so um, I uh, 
we we start we did did quite a bit of planning uh, the winter and spring of '06, but um, we all started together in some free space at uh, uh, in uh, Buckhead, and we had uh, a coffee pot, and it was four guys and mm-hmm. uh, and an idea and. Um, Sonny Dariso, Doug Williams, and Kurt Schreiner were, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the initial partners, and um, we just we just um, really got it going from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I resigned from Atlantic uh, from Wachovia, so mm-hmm. I was unemployed for a day and mm-hmm. worked from home for a day. And my wonderful wife Mary said that that was enough of either one of those two things, and so <laughs> uh, it was time to get back to work. So uh, right, yeah. And so, how, what was your role then at the beginning? And so, how did you guys split up? Yeah, so with the, um, so Sonny was really uh, uh, primarily focused on the capital. Sonny and Doug were primarily focused capital. on the capital raise, half of which came from three institutional uh, private equity groups, and half of it came from over three hundred individual investors. And so, we all uh, made the presentation and had a lot of friends and family who were involved in the bank. Um, I was my my primary focus was um, on some of the regulatory a- aspects of things, as well as primarily recruiting uh, the initial team. And so, um, I spent most of my time getting ready and hiring uh, what ended up being thirty five or forty people when we opened in May. So, a lot of uh, storytelling and uh, getting people engaged with our vision and what we were going to be uh, aspiring to be, and. Uh, we just had a fantastic team of initial folks who uh, joined day one. So that was your primary responsibility, building the team right. where Sonny and Doug were building that, the capital base. That's right. That, that said, I had a lot of uh, friends and colleagues who ended up being private investors in the bank. And so there were a lot of uh, – for many years until we went public, I couldn't really go to a – cocktail party in uh, Buckhead and not have to answer uh, some hard questions about how the bank was doing before I could, uh, you know, get a, Uh get an hors d'oeuvre, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that must've been fun. But, but um, you know, that's the, that's the joy of private ownership, right? You know, when you're, uh, when you're kind of staking yourself out there and being the public face for your institution, as you do, Michael, um, you know, uh, the buck stops with you, and you've got to, uh, you know, take into account uh, all the – answer the questions of everybody that uh, that's right. involved with you and be a, good, be a good steward for your shareholders. So picking people, picking capital are probably, in my mind, two of the most important decisions, activities necessary for building a company. So you started with picking the people. What was your criteria? What were you looking for? Were there any common experiences or values – that uh, you used in your mind to select the team that you built up. Sure, I, I you know I, first of all we were we were looking for experienced bankers who had really great capability, and um, so that was a that was an absolute necessity. Um, and uh, so we're, we 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 I recruited people from lots of different institutions who were you know effectively best in class. We also wanted to find people who had that entrepreneurial spirit, who were willing as mid-career uh, bankers to take the risk with joining mm-hmm. a new bank. Mm-hmm. And um, that was very courageous on their part. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's something that I never uh, never want to uh, underestimate because, mm-hmm. you know, the people's willingness to come on board and, right. you know, 
uh, take walk into a little bit of unknown and chaos from a fairly stable situation right. was uh, very humbling uh, to myself and our partners day one. Well, I think it also is risky in and of itself to hire people from traditional banks to do a startup because right. we all, you know, I started at IBM. Right. You take certain infrastructure, you know, that uh, – the, the weekly paycheck, you take that for granted. Yeah. Um, so was it difficult to find people that really wanted to take a risk? Well, um, yeah, I mean, it, certainly it was um, – it wasn't uh, some some folks' cup of tea, obviously. Uh, right. But um, the initial team of, of uh, client-facing bankers and, and officers that we had um, were really uh, very unique people and uh, a good mix of – Great traditional bank skill, uh, but also somebody mm-hmm. who had, who's mm-hmm. ready to do something different. And mm-hmm. I think that's um, that's something that our generation can learn from the millennials. I think and their willingness to try different things and uh-huh. not be so uh, kind of locked into their to one career. Right. Uh, my father right. worked for one company for his enti- nearly life. his entire life, right. and um, right. I just don't think that's the environment today. Um, you know, that, that people can expect. Right, right. So picking people was your job. Now, your partners did the picking of the capital sources. Was You said it was private equity. Um, I think selection of investors and capital sources is also very important. What was their criteria? Was it just the capacity? Was it the cost of the capital? Or was it the culture and the values of those institutions from which they got the capital? Uh, all of, all, all of the above, but um, for us, the um, the the partnership was absolutely critical. Um, our lead investor, who owned twenty nine percent of the bank, was BankCap Partners mm-hmm. out of Dallas, and they were just uh, through what was you know a difficult environment through the downturn. Um, uh, very stalwart uh, partners throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goldman Sachs, before they were a bank holding company, was in little bit less than 9% investor, as was um, uh, another firm out of uh, Stone Point Capital out of mm-hmm. Connecticut. So mm-hmm. um, we had three great partners on the institutional side who were, for the most part, um, rather hands-off, uh, mm-hmm. but that were uh, interested parties to our success is how I categorize them. Mm-hmm. So any other interesting uh, highlights, though, throughout your journey at Atlanta Capital Bank? I know at the end, near the end of your journey, uh, there was a merger uh, recently with uh, with First Security of Chattanooga. Right. So, And uh, that was a great uh, – it was really a, an acquisition on behalf of Atlanta Capital. That was what uh, eight and a half years in – uh, got us to the public market. Um, okay. First Security was a NASDAQ-traded uh, bank uh, that had underperformed and then had was beginning to turn around. Uh, we bought them and uh, effectively stepped into their shoes as the uh, – uh, stepped into their shoes as a public company. And mm-hmm. now Atlantic Capital is obviously traded as ACBI on the NASDAQ. Um, so, uh, you know, for me personally uh, – uh, it was an exciting time, uh, and we a really good thing, I think, for our shareholders. Um, over the last couple of years, um, you know, running a helping to run a, a, a public bank is different than uh, running a private bank, and right. so um, you know, I recently made the decision to mm-hmm. 
go back again to the start, uh, you know, mm-hmm. from an entrepreneurial perspective and start pr- practical growth advisors. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm still a, a huge cheerleader for Atlantic Capital and, uh, you know, wish them every success. So it's a, mm-hmm. it was a great uh, personal experience for me to grow something really from an idea to mm-hmm. – mm-hmm. uh, to a comp- to a firm that was um, you know worth north of four hundred million dollars, it was uh, it was just a really neat experience. Right. Well, it was a pretty big startup with a base of one hundred twenty five million at the beginning. That's, right. Uh, yeah, we were the, we were the largest uh, uh, U.S. startup uh, on in the banking space, and uh, we're very proud of that. And uh, I don't think that's that's uh, I think that's record still stands. Uh, so we're pretty pretty cool. So did you achieve there what you said? Originally, the reason you guys wanted to do that was that you felt that the middle market was almost maybe ignored as too strong, but it certainly wasn't the focus of the larger institutions. And you said, you know, we need to focus, which generates excellence, right? which generates confidence. Right. So that's my link now to the discussion on practical growth advisors, because right. you say you want to grow these middle market companies with confidence. Could right. you... Comment. I mean, they'll sound nice. Yeah, so you know, beautiful. Can you so, put some yeah, you know, so, substance back around these? And what what does that really mean? Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that um, that I observed with working and serving business owners is they all have a very uh, in their minds a very specific path towards what they want to, their company to grow to, mm-hmm. whether it's revenue size or value or whatever their outcome is, and every. Every business owner, uh, whether they've been running their business for 40 years, mm-hmm. when you say, are you an entrepreneur? They say, darn right, I'm an entrepreneur. You know, mm-hmm. So even if, even if they've built a you know, multi-hundred million dollar company, right. you know, they, they finally remember those times at the beginning. Um, this growing with confidence is really uh, uh, focused on primarily helping uh, companies create a roadmap for growth, mm-hmm. a quantitative roadmap for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, a forecast uh, that's based on history, but really allows them to, uh, you know, build their company with uh, a lot more quantitative focus than sometimes the business owners have. And um, uh, typically in companies under $250 million Mm -hmm. uh, of revenue, there's not um, a broad executive team. And so we're helping to uh, either, either strengthen their team uh, on a project basis, or help them really look look uh, into their businesses to see where they can, where the barriers to growth are, mm-hmm. or where the opportunities for growth are, and mm-hmm. exploit them. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we start that with a with a very detailed forecasting model uh, that gives a good uh, build out, mm-hmm. and then really dive down into deeply into customized areas for each company that. Need additional uh, attention, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and that are really the key growth drivers for what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So then, it sounds like you're bringing a certain—I won't call it a culture—a large company or large institution set of processes to middle market companies, which maybe haven't had the luxury of infrastructure or capital to do some of these things. That's exactly yeah. right. So oftentimes, the we do a very rapid assessment. Typically, takes less than a few weeks or less than a month, and uh, come up with some very specific things that can that can be where we can be of use. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's uh, you know working on a line of service profitability, uh, sales issues that might exist, mm-hmm. um, 
capital issues. Right now we're working on uh, an equity raise for a company, uh, a couple of junior capital uh, assignments, as mm-hmm. well as a couple of bank assignments. So um, a, a lot of times the work that we initially do in this rapid assessment kind of ends up turning into uh, – additional projects, uh, and, and many of them are around the capital element of things because mm-hmm. that's the, uh, the, uh, what, what typically what companies need to grow. Right. And uh, how difficult is it to get middle market entrepreneurs to adopt some of these new processes and disciplines that may not come naturally to them? Because so many of them, maybe like you, started up with a pot of coffee. Now, they didn't have $125 million, right. but I have a lot less than that. But they may not have either had even the same education. And yeah. How do you get them to adopt a much more disciplined Again, you called it a focus on quantitative uh, right. issues. How, how, have you had obstacles along the way to do that? Uh, you yeah. know, uh, clearly, there uh, companies have companies have embedded cultures. Um, you know, executives and owners have their way of doing things, and um, so what we find is uh, the forecast and the goal mm-hmm. uh, is becomes a driving issue, and so. Um, some of the gradual changes or in some instances transformative changes that um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are uh, or that we suggest are you know typically adopted exclusively you know we want we work with the business owner to make sure that right. they're uh, you know in line with this and what we found is they get really excited about it because um, not only are we they able to communicate uh, verbally and with their own passion to their team but also to kind of work through mm-hmm. lead measures and uh, key performance indicators to help mm-hmm. help their people really grasp what the mission is right. and get on board. And so um, the the change element of it is um, – and the data management and process and all that stuff is um, – it's gradual uh, oh. at times, but it – but it works, and once you start the mm-hmm. snowball going down the, right. the uh, hill, it, it builds up momentum significantly. Right. So Atlantic Capital Bank, you were serving middle market companies, and you must have seen then a lot of kind of the same types of customers you're working with now. Right. So that's where you got the background and experience to do this. Yeah. But give our listeners some examples of those middle market companies trying to grow that failed. And why did they fail? And then if there was a story, too, on some wild successes, I think that would be interesting also. Sure. Um, boy, there's uh, – thankfully, at Atlantic Capital, we had such a great credit, quali- credit culture that um, we, didn't, we didn't see too many companies fail. Um, the tragedy to me of the long, long downturn was um, that we had, we had one or two companies that either uh, – really that – lasted for three years but couldn't last for that fourth year mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it, it, when it really was kind of getting da- getting difficult in the da- you know oh nine to kind of coming out in 12 mm-hmm. and that that was really the issue very fine companies decent business models but they were just uh you know the downturn and the lower level of revenue just just really kind of hurt them in the end um uh you know to me having a uh, Access to capital uh, mm-hmm. for your ideas and for your uh, company is really so critical in the good times and the bad times. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that we clearly are focusing on with practical growth advisors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so from a, you know, from a failure perspective, I think, you know, sometimes sometimes the spiral happens and it's just it's hard to hard to kind of keep going. 
on the on the on the upside, you know, we have, um, you know, even right now, uh, we're working with a company that is looking to double their revenue, uh, mm-hmm. you know, next year uh, mm-hmm. in into the uh, mid hundred and fifty million dollar revenue size range. So mm-hmm. a lot of growth. Um, I'm also working with a startup company here locally out of Atlanta Tech Village that is um, disrupting a $240 billion industry. So growth happens, Mm -hmm. I guess is what I would say. Mm -hmm. And great ideas, um, great teams, uh, good execution are really critical to, uh, you know, private company success. And um, it takes different forms and uh, different business models, but it's possible, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that that's one of the things that has really changed over the last 24 months is business owner psychology has become more positive. People have a forward posture now about what they can accomplish mm-hmm. and they're willing to take risks again. And so that's one of the things that um, I think has been so critical for, you know, what's our GDP was 4.1% up, you know, uh, last quarter. I mean, it's just a remarkable because people got their mojo back. Right. So, but part of that mojo then is d- due to the economic environment. Right, sure. So that's part of it. But, um, you know, we read recently in the Wall Street Journal that many PE funds now are not just providing equity capital, but also debt. They're doing loans. How might that affect what you do? Right. Um, it's fantastic because, uh, you know, when we're working on behalf of um, mid-sized companies, um, you know, more competition is good. Um, you know, so what what seems to be happening is that, um, you know, banks have their their levels of, of mm-hmm. risk appetite. Mm-hmm. And you have great junior capital providers who are typically unsecured or secondarily secured. They're providing a critical function and earning a better rate of return. And then you have, um, obviously, equity and quasi-equity type of participants as well. And mm-hmm. As everybody, as as a lot of these private companies are awash with capital and people investing in them, right. you see it all all the lines blurring. And I think that um, you know ultimately for borrowers, for companies that are looking to grow, that's a really positive thing uh-huh. is because you have the options. Um, you have if you're if you're going through hyper growth, right? In ten years ago, you might have had to have uh, given up equity. Mm-hmm. That may not be the case today because mm-hmm. of some of these alternate uh, capital providers. Mm-hmm. And speaking of growth and uh, hyperactivity, uh, you know, many of our listeners are debt buyers. Right. And uh, the fintech market has taken off, and it's very disruptive. Right. Lots of opportunities, lots of risks. What, what's your outlook on that market, particularly as it relates to the availability of capital, both for consumers as well as businesses, right? Um, uh, you know, clearly another another key competitor, and um, you know, we we love to see uh, uh, Atlanta be uh, the the really the global capital of fintech. So ex- excited about all the things that are going on there, and mm-hmm. we really, um, I think, I think the future is very bright, um, particularly in the consumer space, uh, where. Mm-hmm. Um, they're disintermediating the traditional banks, and I think that's a very effective model. So do you think then that the traditional banks uh, for the basic consumer loans are going away? Uh, I think they're going to – for non-mortgage-related uh, stuff, they're – you know, companies like Cabbage here locally and others are – you know, uh, and, you know, some of the folks that right. that obviously you work with, Michael, or um, – 
you know, I think there's a there's a lot of opportunity there because banks are under a lot of uh, regulatory stress, particularly as it relates to um, subprime and near prime uh, borrowers. And uh, I don't think that's going to change. Mm-hmm. Well, John, I've got lots more questions, but I think we're going to have to have a, a second a second meeting on Capital Club Radio uh, in a year from now to, to follow you. But just my own view, then I'm going to ask you to summarize your comments. Uh, you know, when I think back when you were an Eagle Scout and you just were saying, you know, it's about focus and excellence and developing skills, and that's what gives you the confidence and the, the discipline and the teamwork, That's those are the same themes. I'm listening to you here in the last half hour, the same themes that you're talking about in developing your middle market customers in your new company, Practical Growth Advisors. So it's it's I love connecting the dots in people's lives and their careers. And, you know, when you go back to when you were an Eagle Scout, these are the skills, experiences, processes that you learned there. You developed them more in the, in the banking world, uh, not just with institutions, but obviously you applied it right. with your startup, Atlanta Capital, $125 million, big startup. And now you've got a chance to do it again as even, you know, a, a, another entrepreneur, maybe not with $125 million, but you're going to help others. Right. And so it's a different different but similar purpose absolutely and um you know i uh i'm really excited about uh and my partner emmett moore uh who i went to school with way 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 back when uh you know when we started this we really felt like there was this great opportunity to help uh great private companies grow with confidence and that's what we're focused on and um Yes, this is a culmination of my career to a certain extent, but um, you know, I've, we both feel like we've got a lot of uh, insight and perspective and experience that we can uh, ap- apply and help business grown- owners to uh, grow a little bit faster. So, looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, you know, congratulations on all of your great success at Flock Financial. Well, well, thank you, John, and uh, we're going to have to get together again in a year because there's still a lot more to talk about, and you'll have even more, uh, I think, achievements uh, on that Eagle Scout <laughs> uniform to talk about in another year, and we look forward to seeing you again. Thank, thank you, you, John. Okay. Thank you for joining Michael Flock and his guests on the Capital Club Radio Show. For more information on future interviews, please visit us at flockfinance.com. This program is brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance, where clients are provided knowledge and insights to help them grow their business in complex and risky markets. Flock is more than a transaction.